Chapter 22 of Wilder's Hand. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Wong. Wilder's Hand by J. Sheridan Le Fanu. Chapter 22 In which Captain Lake meets a friend near the White House. Lake had no very high opinion of men or women gentle or simple she listens i dare say the little spy said he no master stanley she's a good little girl she quite believes her mistress is upstairs eh yes the lord forgive me i'm deceiving her he did not like the tone and look which accompanied this now my good old tamar you really can't be such an idiot as to fancy there can be any imaginable wrong in keeping that prying little slut in ignorance of that which in no wise concerns her. This is a critical matter, do you see? And if it were known in this place that your young mistress had gone away as she has done, though quite innocently, upon my honor, I think it would blast her. You would not like, for a stupid corruption, to ruin poor Rady, I fancy. I'm doing just what you both bid me said the old woman. You sit upstairs chiefly? She nodded sadly. And keep the hall door shut and bolted? Again, she nodded. I'm going up to the hall and I'll tell them she's much better and that I've been in her room and that perhaps she may go up to see them in the morning. Old Tamar shook her head and groaned. How long is all this to go on for, Master Stanley? Why did you, Tamar, can't you listen? He said, clutching her wrist in his lavender kid grasp rather roughly how long a very short time i tell you she'll be home immediately i'll come to-morrow and tell you exactly maybe to-morrow evening will that do and should they call you must say the same and if miss dorcas miss brandon you know should wish to go up to see her tell her she's asleep stop that hypocritical grimacing will you it is no part of your duty to tell the world what can't possibly concern them. It may bring your young mistress to perdition. That does not strike me as any part of your religion. Tamar groaned again, and she said, I opened my Bible, Lord help me, three times today, Master Stanley, and could not go on. It's no use. I can't read it. Time enough. I think you've read more than is good for you. I think you are half mad, Tamar. But think what you may. It must be done. Have not you read of straining at gnats and swallowing camels? Use not. I've heard to be always so scrupulous, old Tamar. There was a vile sarcasm in his tone and look. It is not for the child I nurse to say that, said Tamar. There were scandalous stories of wicked old Tiberius, bankrupt, dead, and buried, compromising the fame of Tamar, not always a spectacled and cadaverous student of holy writ. These, indeed were even in Stanley's childhood, old world, hazy traditions of the servants' hall. But boys hear often more than is good, and more than gospel, who live in such houses as old General Lake, the old millionaire widower, kept. I did not mean anything upon my honor, Tamar, that could annoy you. I only meant you used not to be a fool. And pray don't begin now, for I assure you, Rady and I would not ask it if it could be avoided. You have Miss Rady's secret in your hands. I don't think you'd like to injure her, and you used to be trustworthy. I don't think your Bible teaches you anywhere to hurt your neighbor and to break faith. Don't speak of the Bible now. 
"'But you needn't fear me, Master Stanley,' answered the old woman, a little sternly. "'I don't know why she's gone, nor why it's a secret. I don't, and I'd rather not. Poor Miss Rady, she never heard anything but what was good from old Tamar. Whatever I might happen myself, miserable sinners are we all, and I'll do as you bid me, and have done, Master Stanley, howsoever it troubles my mind, and now old Tamar's words spoke, that's all. Old Tamar is a sensible creature, as she always was. I hope I did not vex you, Tamar. I did not mean, I assure you, but we get rough ways in the army, I'm afraid, and you won't mind me. You never did mind little Stanny when he was naughty, you know. There was here a little subsidence in his speech. He was thinking of giving her a crown, but there were several reasons against it, so that handsome coin remained in his purse. And I forgot to tell you, Tamar, I have a ring for you in town, a little souvenir. You'll think it pretty, a gold ring, with a stone in it. It belonged to poor dear Aunt Jemima, you remember? I left it behind, so stupid. So he shook hands with old Tamar and patted her affectionately on the shoulder, and he said, Keep the hall door bolted. Maybe any excuse you liked, only it would not do for anyone to open it and run up to the room as they might. So don't forget to secure the door when I go. I think that is all. Ta-ta, dear Tamar. I'll see you in the morning. As he walked down the mill road toward the town, he met Lord Shelford on his way to make inquiry about Rachel at Redmond's farm, and Lake, who, as we know, had just seen his sister, gave him all particulars. Chelford, like the lawyer, had heard from Mark Wilder that morning a few lines postponing his return. He merely mentioned it and made no comment, but Lake perceived that he was annoyed at his unexplained absence. Lake dined at Brandon that evening and though looking ill was very good company, and promised to bring an early report of Rachel's convalescence in the morning. I have little to record of next day, except that Larkin received another London letter. Wilder plainly wrote in great haste, and merely said, I shall have to wait a day or two longer than I yesterday thought, to meet a fellow from whom I am to receive something of importance, rather, as I think, to me. Get the deeds ready, as I said in my last. If I am not in Gillingdon by Monday, we must put off the wedding for a week later. There is no help for it. You need not talk of this. I write to Chelford to say the same. This note was as unceremonious and still shorter. Lord Chelford would have written at once to remonstrate with Mark on the unseemliness of putting off his marriage so capriciously, or at all events so mysteriously, Miss Brandon not being considered, nor her friends consulted, but Mark had a decided objection to many letters. He had no fancy to be worried. When he had made up his mind by prosy remonstrances, and he shut out the whole tribe of letter writers by simply omitting to give them his address. His cool impertinence, and especially this cunning precaution, incensed old Lady Chelford. She would have liked to write him one of those terse, courteous, biting notes for which she was famous, and her fingers morally tingled to box his ears. But what was to be done with mere London? Wilder was hidden from moral sight like a heaven-protected hero in the Iliad, and a cloud of invisibility girdled him. Like most rustic communities, Gillingdon and its neighborhood were early in bed. Few lights burned after half-past ten, and the whole vicinity was deep in its slumbers before twelve o'clock. At that dread hour, Captain Lake, about a mile on the Dollington, 
which was the old london road from gillingdon was pacing backward and forward under the towering files of beech that overarched it at that point the white house public was a wide panel over its door presenting in tents subdued by time a stage-coach and four horses in made career lay a few hundred yards nearer to gillingdon not a soul was stirring not a sound but those sad and soothing of nature was to be heard stanley lake did not like waiting any more than did louis the fourteenth he was really a little tired of acting sentry and was very peevish by the time the ring of wheels and horse hoofs approaching from the london direction became audible even so he had a longer wait than he expected sounds are heard so far by night at last however it drew nearer nearer quite close in a sort of nondescript vehicle one horse loomed in the dark and he calls hello there i say a passenger for the white house at the same moment a window of the cab shall we call it was let down and a female voice rachel lakes called to the driver to stop lake addressed the driver you come from johnson's hotel don't you at dollington yes sir well i'll pay you half fare to bring me there all right sir but the os sir must have is oatst futst feed him here then they are all asleep in the white house i'll be with you in five minutes and you shall have something for yourself when we get into dollington stanley opened the door she placed her hand on his and stepped to the ground it was very dark under those great trees he held her hand a little harder than was his wont all quite well ever since you are not very tired are you i'm afraid it will be necessary for you to walk to redmond's farm dear lady but it's hardly a mile i think for you see the fellow must not know who you are and i must go back with him for i have not been very well indeed i've been i may say very ill and i told that fellow larkin who has his eyes about him and would wonder what kept me out so late and i would run down to some of the places near for a change and sleep a night there and that's the reason dear lady i can walk only a short way with you but you are not afraid to walk a part of the way home without me you are so sensible and you have been really so very kind i assure you i appreciate it lady i do indeed and i'm very grateful i am upon my word rachel answered with a heavy sigh end of chapter twenty two recording by ellen wong